For our second episode of Tasteful Tuesdays in February, I'm going to read from a romance called Matched by Ali Gandhi. Chapter one. Now that I found the way to fly, which direction should I go into the night? My wings aren't white or feathered. They're green and made of silk, which shudders in the wind and bends when I move, first in a circle, then in a line, finally in a shape of my own invention. The black behind me doesn't worry me, neither do the stars ahead. I smile at myself at the foolishness of my imagination. People cannot fly, though before the society there were myths about those who could. I saw a painting of them once, white wings, blue sky, gold circles above their heads, Eyes turned up in surprise as though they couldn't believe what they are, the artist had painted them doing, couldn't believe that their fate, feet didn't touch the ground. Those stories were true. I know that. But tonight it's easy to forget. The air train glides through the starry night so smoothly and my heart pounds so quickly that it feels as though I could soar into the sky at any moment. What are you smiling about? Xander wonders as I smooth the folds of green silk down my neat. Everything, I tell him, and it's true. I've waited so long for this, for my match banquet, where I'll see for the first time the face of the boy who will be my match. It will be the first time I hear his name. I can't wait. As quickly as the air train moves, it still isn't fast enough. It hushes through the night. It sounds a background for the low rain of our parents' voices, the lightning quick beats of my heart. Perhaps Xander can hear my heart pounding too, because he asks, are you nervous? In the next seat to him, Xander's older brother begins to tell my mother the story of his match banquet. It won't be long now until Xander and I have our own stories to tell. No, I say. But Xander's my best friend. He knows me too well. You lie, he teases. You are nervous, aren't you? Not me. I'm ready. He says it without hesitation, and I believe him. Xander is the kind of person who is sure about what he wants. It doesn't matter if he, you're nervous, Cassie, he says, gentle now. Almost 93% of those attending their match banquets exhibit some signs of nervousness. Did you memorize all of the official matching material? Almost, Xander says, grinning. He holds his hands out as if it were to say, what did you expect? The gesture makes me laugh. And besides, I memorized all the material too. It's easy to do when you read it so many times, when the decision is so important. So you're in the minority, I say. The 7% who don't show any nerves at all? Of course. He agrees. How could you tell I was nervous? Because you kept opening and closing that, Sander points to the golden object in my hand. I don't know. You had an artifact. A few treasures from the past flowed around among us. Though citizens of the society are allowed one artifact each, they are hard to come by unless you have ancestors who took care to pass things along through the years. I didn't until a few hours ago, I tell him. Grandfather gave it to me for my birthday. It belonged to his mother. 
What's it called? Xander asked. A compact, I say. I like the name very much. Compact means small. I am small. I also like the way it sounds when you say it. Com, ha. Saying the word makes a sound like one of the artifacts itself makes when it snaps shut. What do the initials and numbers mean? I'm not sure. I run my fingers across the letters ACM and the numbers 1940 carved across the golden surface. But look, I tell him, popping the compact open to show him the inside, a little mirror made of real glass and a small hollow where the original owner once stored powder for her face, according to grandfather. Now, I use it to hold three emergency tablets that everyone carries. One green, one blue, one red. That's convenient, Xander says. He stretches out his arms in front of him, and I notice that he has an artifact, too. A pair of shiny platinum cufflinks. My father lent me these, but they can't put but you can't put anything in them. They're completely useless. They look nice, though. My gaze travels up to Xander's face, to his bright blue eyes and blonde hair above his dark suit and white shirt. He's always been handsome, even when we were little, but I never seen him dressed up like this. Boys don't have as much leeway in choosing clothes as girls do. One suit looks much like another. Still, they get to select the color of their shirts and their cravats, and the quality of the material is much finer than the material used for plain clothes. You look nice. The girl who finds out that he's her match will be thrilled. Nice, Xander says, lifting his eyebrows. That's all. Xander, his mother says next to him, amusement mingled with the reproach in his, her voice, you look beautiful, Xander tells me, and I flush a little even though I've known Xander all my life. I feel beautiful in this dress, ice green, floating, full-skirted. The unaccustomed smoothness of silk against my skin makes me feel lithe and graceful. Next to me, my mother and father each draw a breath as City Hall comes into view, lit up white and blue and sparkling with the special occasion lights that indicate a celebration is taking place. I can't see the marble stairs in front of the hall yet, but I know that they will be polished and shining. All my life, I have waited to walk up those clean marble steps and through the doors of the hall, a building I have seen from a distance but never entered. I wanted to open the compact and check in the mirror to make sure I look my best, but I don't want to seem vain, so I sneak a glance at my face in its surface instead. I round The rounded lid of the compact distorts my figures a little, but it's still me. My green eyes, my coppery brown hair, which looks more gold in the compact than it does in real life. My straight small nose, my chin with a trace of a dimple like my grandfather's, all the outward characteristics that make me Cassie Marie Reese, 17 year old, exactly. I turn the camp compact over in my hands, looking at how perfectly the two sides fit together. My match is already coming together just as neatly, beginning with the fact that I am here tonight. Since my birthday falls on the 15th, the banquet is held each. The day the banquet is held each month, I've always hoped that I might be matched on my actual birthday, but I knew it might not happen. 
You can be called up for your banquet anytime during the year after you turn 17. When the notification came across the port two weeks ago that I would indeed be matched on the day of my birthday, I could almost hear the clean snap of the pieces fitting into place exactly as I dreamed so long ago. Because although I hadn't even had to wait a full day for my match, in some ways I had waited all my life. Cassie, my mother says, smiling at me. I blink and look up, startled. My parents stand up, ready to disembark. Xander stands too and straightens his sleeves. I hear him take a deep breath and I smile to myself. Maybe he is a little nervous after all. Here we go, he says to me. His smile is so kind and good. I'm glad we were called up in the same month. We shared so much of childhood, it seems we should share the end of it too. I smile back at him and give him the best greeting we have in the society. I wish you optimal results, I tell Xander. You too, Cassie, he says. As we step off the air train and walk towards City Hall, my parents each link an arm through mine. I am surrounded, as I've always been, by their love. It is only the three of us tonight. My brother Bram can't come to the match banquet because he is under 17, too young to attend. The first one you attend is always your own. It, however, will be able to attend Bram. I, however, will be able to attend Bram's banquet because I am the older sibling. I smile to myself, wondering what Bram's match will be like. In seven years, I will find out. But tonight, it's my night. It is easy to identify those of us being matched. Not only are we younger than all of the others, but we also float along in beautiful dresses and tailored suits while our parents and older siblings walk around in plain clothes, a background against which we bloom. The city officials smile proudly at us and my heart swells as we enter the rotunda. In addition to Xander, who waves goodbye to me as he crosses the room to his seating area, I see another girl I know named Leah. She picked the bright red dress. It's a good choice for her because she is beautiful enough that standing out works in her favor. She looks worried, however, and she keeps twisting her artifact, a jeweled red bracelet. I'm a little surprised to see Lee there. I would have picked her for a single. Look at this china, my father says, as we find our place at the banquet tables. It reminds me of the Wedgwood pieces we found last year. My mother looks at me and rolls her eyes in amusement. Even at the match banquet, my father can't stop himself from noticing these things. My father spends months working in old neighborhoods that have been restored and turned into new boroughs for public use. He sifts through the relics of the society that is not as far in the past as it seems. Right now, for example, he is working on a particularly interesting restoration project, an old library. He sorts out the things the society has marked as valuable from the things that are not. But then I have to laugh because my mother can't help but comment on the flowers since they fall in her area of expertise as an arboretum worker. Oh, Cassie, look at all the centerpieces. Lilies, she squeezed my hand. Please be seated, an official tells us from the podium. Dinner is about to be served. It's almost com commercial, comical how quickly we all take our seats because we might admire the china and the flowers and we might be here for our matches, but we also can't wait to taste the food. They say this dinner is always wasted on the matchees, 
a jovial-looking man sitting across from us says, smiling around our table, so excited they can't eat a bite. And it's true, one of the girls sitting father down on the table, wearing a pink dress, stares at her plate, touching nothing. I don't seem to have this problem, however. Though I don't gorge myself, I can eat some of everything, the roasted vegetables, the savory meat, the crispy greens and creamy cheese, the warm light bread, the meal seems like a dance, as though this is a ball as well as a banquet. The waiters slide the plates in front of us with graceful hands. The food wearing herbs and garnishes is all dressed up as we are. We lift the white napkins and the silver forks and the smiling, shining crystal goblets as if it's time to music. My father smiles happily as a server sets a piece of chocolate cake with fresh cream before him at the end of the meal. Wonderful he whispers so softly that only my mother and I can hear him. My mother laughs a little at him, teasing him, and he reaches for his hand. I understand his enthusiasm when I take a bite of the cake, which is rich but not overwhelming, deep and dark and flavorful. It is the best thing I've eaten since the traditional dinner at winter holiday months ago. I wish Bram could have some cake, and for a minute, I think about saving some of mine for him. But there is no way to take it back to him. It wouldn't fit in my compact. It would be bad form to hide it away in my mother's purse, even if she would agree, and she won't. My mother doesn't break the rules. I can't save it for later. It is now or never. I have just popped the last bite in my mouth when the announcer says, we are ready to announce the matches. I swallow in surprise, and for a second, I feel an unexpected surge of anger. I didn't get to savor my last bite of cake. Lee Abby. Lee twists her bracelet furiously as she stands, waiting to see the face flash on the screen. She's careful to hold her hands low, though, so that the boy seeing her in another city hall somewhere will only see the beautiful blonde girl and not her worried hands twisting and turning that bracelet. It is strange how we hold on to the pieces of the past while we wait for our futures. There is a system, of course, to the matching. In city halls across the country, all filled with people, the matches are announced in alphabetical order according to the girls' last names. I feel slightly sorry for the boys who have no idea when their names will be called, when they must stand for girls in other cities' halls to receive them as matches. Since my last name is Reese, I will be somewhere at the end of the middle, the beginning of the end. The screen flashes with the face of a boy, blonde and handsome. He smiles as he sees Lee's face on the screen where he is, and she smiles too. Joseph Peterson, the announcer says. Lee Abbey, you have been matched with Joseph Peterson. The hostess presiding over the banquet brings Lee a small silver box. The same thing happens to Joseph Peterson on the screen. When Lee sits down, she looks at the silver box longingly as though she wishes she could open it right away. I don't blame her. Inside the box is a microcard with the background information about her match. We all receive them. Later, the boxes will be used to hold the rings for the marriage contract. The screen flashes back to the default picture, a boy and a girl standing with Eddie stand smiling at each other with glimmering lights and a white coat official in the background. Although the society times the matching to be as efficient as possible, there are still moments when the screen goes black back to this picture, which means that we all have to wait while something happens somewhere else. 
It's so complicated, the matching, and I am reminded of the intricate steps of the dances they used to do long ago. This dance, however, is one that the Sut Society alone has choreographed now. The picture shimmers away. The announcer calls another name. Another girl stands up. Soon, more and more people at the banquet have little silver boxes. Some people set them on the white tablecloths in front of them, but most hold the boxes carefully, unwilling to let their futures out of their hands so soon as from receiving them. I don't see any other girls wearing the green dress. I don't mind. I like the idea that for one night, I don't look like everyone else. I wait, holding my compact in my hand and my mother's hand in the other. Her palm feels sweaty. For the first time, I realize that she and my father are nervous too. Cassie Marie Race, it is my turn. I stand up, letting go of my mother's hand and turn towards the screen. I feel my heart pounding and I'm tempted to twist my hands the way Leah did, but I hold perfectly still with my chin up and my eyes on the screen. I watch and wait, determined that my girl my match will see on the screen is his city hall somewhere out there in society will be poised and calm and lovely. The very best image of Cassie Marie Reese I can present. But nothing happens. I stand and look at the screen and as seconds go on, it is all I can do to stay still, all I can do to keep smiling. Whispers start around. Out of the corner of my eye, I see my mother move her hand as if to take mine again but then she pulls it back. A girl in a green dress stands waiting, her heart pounding. Me, the screen is dark and it stays dark. That can only mean one thing.